Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You're in the doghouse, and we're here to talk Mississippi State sports here on the Believe Podcast Network. Welcome back to another edition of the Doghouse on this Thursday, January 26th. I'm your host, David Murray, as we talk about the state of state, Mississippi State sports. Uh, Not so good for Bulldog basketball, as you know, certainly if you watched last night's game in Tuscaloosa. All right, show of hands out there, proverbially speaking, how many had the same reaction I did having watched Bulldog sports teams for so many years, thinking, you know, they're giving their very best effort, playing their best game, shooting about as well as they can play, and choosing to do it against a team they probably can't win anyway. I admit it. I fell into that trap. Well, Bulldogs did not win. Number two, Alabama did prove better on their home court. A very competitive game, much like the first time State and Alabama played, where if the Bulldogs make their free throws, who knows if Alabama's ranked number two right now. But it's just been that kind of frustrating season for Coach Chris Jans, and now with the losing streak continuing, they host a TCU team in a game of change, part of the SEC Big 12 Challenge as well, 3 o'clock Saturday afternoon in Humphrey Coliseum. Would hope that you're there as well. But the Bulldogs, if they could show up like they did last night consistently, they're going to beat somebody. Now, the schedule, as we've talked about, the SEC did not do them any favors by front-loading it. What they've already played, Tennessee and Alabama, arguably the two best teams in the conference twice, and the schedule's not even half done for conference season. That's what you call front-loading things. Oh, well, throw Auburn into there also. It's just not I should never say not fair because computers do this. It's not really aimed at anyone, but uh, let's just say the computer wasn't fair to Mississippi State. And now they're facing a TCU team, which once upon a time looked like a good opportunity to get some damage done at home. Instead, you're facing a team that is arguably the hottest in the Big 12 coming here. Chris Jans at his Monday press conference, talking to him, listening to him, You like him more and more the more you deal with him, certainly I do, but he has the look and the sound of a man who just needs something to go right for a change. The team needs it too, but I really think the coach needs it because the full enormity of what he's having to deal with right now, he knew there were going to be holes in this team, particularly in the offensive side, but those holes were way bigger than they thought, the outside shooting, and last night was one of the better efforts on that regard and still wasn't enough to win the game. It just typifies the struggles they're having to the point that you just wonder, what's it going to take for the Bulldogs to win? Well, they'd love to know as well. And after this, the schedule does lighten up, relatively speaking. But at some point, you just got to keep the faith and not let it get to you and try to play as hard as they did last night. But that's basketball. I don't want to touch on that too long because we've got so much to talk about on the football side, including the Southeastern Conference scheduling. Get that towards the end of this podcast. But first, let's talk about our sponsor, Bet Online. It remains your number one source for all your betting needs this season. Everything from the National Football League, which now is down to its semifinals. Uh, good luck to all you Bulldogs participating there. Of course, the NBA is in full cry now, and esports even. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup information, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable. 
We're always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code BLEAV, that's all caps, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online, where the game starts. And if you're liking what you're hearing, why not give us a rating on Apple Podcast? All right, Bulldog football time. We've tried to set up an interview with Zach Arnett, uh, offensive coordinator Kevin Barbe, and other coaches in recent days, and they have had scattered media availabilities here and there, but it's all been on the road and on the fly because they have been recruiting, and boy, have they been recruiting as the results show. Of course, last weekend was junior day. This weekend is the final visit weekend ahead of next Wednesday's second signing period. February 1 is when it kicks off. Now, normally you would think this second period – since the December period just totally dominates, would not be such a big deal. That has changed with the transfer portal. That's also changed with the fact that you're trying to fill in some gaps now for a new coaching staff, not entirely new, but with a new boss and the offensive side really being totally revised. There's going to be some changes made there. Nothing drastic early on because uh, you just have so many returning players, you're not going to shake it up but you're going to add some valuable parts to it, particularly if you can get them available for spring camp, which the state has done through the transfer portal. Will uh, anything happen for the portal this weekend? Time is running out for spring enrollees, and yes, we're still waiting on Dylan Johnson to make his decision. Yeah, I'd count him as a transfer portal guy because he's been in the portal the last couple of weeks and still making a decision between Mississippi State and Washington. Texas has been in there as well. And most likely he's going to be a dog, either a Washington Husky or a Mississippi State Bulldog. But at this point, it's up to him. Time is just about run out for enrollment. Yes, the official deadline has passed, but there's always some wiggle room built into the academic calendar. So if Dylan decides he wants to come back and be a part of the team for another season, certainly for the spring, that door is barely cracked open. He can still take advantage of it. But at the point now, you just can't afford to wait. You just go ahead and start moving ahead with what you've got, what you can count on. And Mississippi State is doing that, certainly through the transfer portal. We published a piece this week about, and this is something that struck me, how many of State's recruits and through the portal since this began a couple of years ago have been from not just FBS football, but have been from Power Five conferences, and specifically the SEC. I thought it'd be a decent number, but even I was surprised that it's almost been a dominating number. State has been getting its players from Power Five conferences more often than not, and this year, all the more so. If you include, and I'm going to include them because technically they count, Tulu Griffin and Xavier Thomas, who left Mississippi State and are back at Mississippi State, you've got eight of your nine transfer guys for 2023 season have come from power five and half of them over half of them from the sec if dylan johnson does come back bump it up one in each category as well and that's not really surprising i also posted a piece yesterday on gene's page about look at the surprising number of all sec players whether it's coaches or media selections this past december were portal players and how many of them were cross-conference transfers I'm telling you, when this transfer portal business began, a lot of us assumed that this would be a case of the bigs reaching down to pluck from the lowers, the really bigs plucking from the bigs, and the superpowers from the really bigs. 
Instead, it's been a whole lot more cross-pollination as uh, the geneticist around here. Yes, I have a friend who is a professor in that field, uh, so I know a little bit about that. And it's, it's been more the fact that you're getting guys from peer-type programs who are looking to play. Maybe you recruited them in the first place. Maybe you evaluated them but never offered them, but you kept an eye. That's going to be the case going forward, I think, more so, particularly in the Power Five conferences and the SEC, because everybody recruits everybody. So if you get the idea somebody's dissatisfied somewhere or that guy did not want to sign with you straight out of high school because you had players that position, or perhaps your coaching staff was not amenable to his taste, now things have changed both ways, whether on the roster or the staff, and they're interested again. All sorts of factors go into that. I think State has really picked up momentum at the tail end because, remember, State's first haul from the portal, including guys who enrolled back on uh, January 19th, were dominated by defense with the absolutely must addition of a place kicker. Uh, getting good reports on him already from people who have watched him in action out there. And... Uh, Pardon, this uh, congestion has really been getting to me the last few days. Anyway, the first part of the recruiting class that came in for spring classes were dominated by defensive guys, particularly the secondary. But now states grabbed a pair of offensive guys that really have the potential to make difference to this roster, to the rooms, maybe even to the game plan. I certainly would expect Freddie Roberson, the Eastern Washington wide receiver, to make an impact. Just looking through his stats last year, uh, 797 yards worth of catches, 45 connections, seven touchdowns, including one against Oregon. By the way, twice he played FBS teams, including a game at Florida. And in those two games, he had seven catches for 95 yards and a score. So he's proven he can play against the big teams as well. Uh, say what you want to about Oregon and Florida defenses this year. If you can do it against them, you can play in this league. And now he's going to play in this league in Mississippi State's offense. And he's 23 years old as well. He'll turn 24 before the Egg Bowl this coming year. You've added a mature veteran receiver, which is something Mississippi State really needed coming into this with the loss of Ra Ra Thomas. And frankly, you needed more guys on the outside just playing period because with the addition of a couple of uh, offensive line staff, including a wonder of wonders, tight end coach, at least nominally, you're going to have to use some receivers a little different way. Um, Antonio Harmon may be an obvious choice that you could slide into a quote tight end position, certainly a flanked out, maybe Justin Robinson, but I'd sure like to see him stay on the outside more. Either way, adding a good outside receiver like Robertson frees you to just put guys like Tula Griffin, Xavier Thomas, and Rufus, Har Rufus Harvey, leaving them at their natural positions inside to use their quickness and use their uh, explosive speed in those slot slot jobs. I just like this addition. I know fans much more like the addition of Mike Wright. Mississippi State had to have a quarterback, another quarterback. Yes, there has been a recent enough case of skating through an entire season on just two scholarship quarterbacks, but no one of right mind wants to try that again. So, by the way, am I jinxing it right now to go ahead and say that Will Rogers has not lost time for any injuries so far in his career? Okay, I got it out there. Now, if doom happens, you know who to blame. 
But then again, Rodgers has not been putting his body on the line often either, intentionally, of course, and there was, with nobody really ready to step in the past two years. Now, you've got your choices. Mike Wright, just running through his stats, he has 11 starts in the last two seasons. Uh, yes, he lost his job early this past year before getting it back late in the season with an injury to, I think, Swan was the name of the Vanderbilt starter otherwise. He is clearly a run-first quarterback, and he did run for 517 yards and five touchdowns this year in the 10 games he played, but he threw for a dozen touchdowns, and he was really come up clutch in the Kentucky game when they beat them. What He was 22 of 39 in victories over Kentucky and Florida, and ran for big yardage against Kentucky. Now that raises a sore point. What could Mississippi State have done in Lexington this year if they had just had a little bit of a run threat from the backfield after Dylan Johnson got hurt and with Jaquavius Marks not available, really? What could State have done that game with a run option at quarterback? Okay, sour grapes. You got it. had to get that out of the way. Regardless, you've got a guy with 21 career touchdown passes, albeit against 11 interceptions. So he is a primary run-type quarterback. Is that going to suddenly transform this offense? No. I still fully believe Will Rogers will be the starter in 2023 and deserves it. He would have to really have a terrible spring in preseason to lose that status, and nobody expects him to do either. However, A, it can't hurt to have any competition, not just for him. Chris Parson needs somebody to measure himself against in more of the sense that, oh, he could watch Will and just accept it and play through his first year and accept that position that I'm not going to be a really factor now. Well, all of a sudden, you add Mike Wright to the mix, and now Parson has got to push himself if he wants to be the starter in 2024. Everybody wins as a result of having this competition in there. By the way, I noted that uh, what Wright ran for 900 rushing yards in his career, State had barely 1,100 rushing yards all last season. What does that tell you? Probably the same thing it tells me, that Mike Wright gives you the option now, or certainly gives Kevin Barbet the option, of having a running quarterback to plug in for specialty situations. Yes, I know. You'll say, well, that's so obvious. You put a guy in and does it. Shall we hark back to 2012 and even 2013 when it was, quote, Obvious that when Tyler Russell stepped out, Dak Prescott stepped in for short yardage and goal line, that you had the run-throw option there. Yeah, and it worked. So I like this idea a whole, whole lot of having Rodgers. And, and by the way, Rodgers can run. It's not his strength. He's not going to be very graceful at doing it. But Rodgers can run if he goes into a play with that as a thought. It's the fact that in his three years in the air raid, the whole idea is to wait, 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 wait as long as possible for receiver to come open, and only when there's no chance of it are the pressures too great. Then to run, well, by then it's too late in most situations. But if you start a play with the idea that, one, two, I can run, maybe I should run, that changes everything. No, he's never going to be a Chris Ralph, never mind a Nick Fitzgerald. He can still get some yards on the ground. But it's so much better to have a guy like Wright coming in who can mix it up and make it work on a more consistent basis. So the point holds. Everybody in the quarterback group gets better as a result of this move, including Wright himself, because he gets to test himself now in the SEC West. 
So Mississippi State, like I mentioned, still on the recruiting. Got this weekend to host more prospects as they come in, looking to 2024 signing class, obviously. Now, the next NCAA portal window is not until May 1 through 15, post-spring training, obviously. And I certainly expect State to start adding players after that. But the numbers are starting to get tight. Remember, Mississippi State announced a 27-man class back in December, and only one of those was one of the expected transfers, Kamari Rogers, who's on campus. Since then, there's been at least five more show up. They just aren't, quote, signees until next week. What a wild world we're in now, where guys are attending classes before they go on scholarship. We used to call them walk-ons, but it's ain't nothing like that. So the numbers are going to get really interesting. But that's what spring ball is going to be about. It's a chance for offensive guys to see where they fit or do they fit at all in the bar base system. It's a chance for quite a few defensive guys who've been stockpiled over the years to kind of reach that make or break point that, okay, they brought in some new defensive backs. I haven't been able to win a starting job so far. I'm going to go through spring and then take my chances in the portal after that. State will need some roster attrition. That, that's obvious, and that's just how the game is being played these days. So recruiting has been the hallmark of the staff so far. We don't have a spring schedule yet. Expect to have one probably the next couple of weeks once they get through the signing day. Our request for interviews still stands for the coaches, but they've been pretty busy. May end up having to do them by phone instead of a sit-down in the office, which we much prefer. But you take what you can get at this time of year. By the way, about the recruiting. Have any of you also seen or heard more of the angst out of Oxford way related to concerns that Zach Darnett has put together a staff which, well, they may not entirely take over this state, but clearly are going to set the recruiting tone around here. I think that's one reason you've seen some last gasp, or maybe I should put it as last grasps, at dogs trying to play a spoiler and maybe stealing, i.e. a Tulu Griffin or a Xavier Thomas. Well, it didn't work out, and, and more to the point, I want to get into this, it was wasted effort on their part. You see, sometimes it's net win for one program not to lose a player because the other program has invested time, energy, and shall we say resources into also trying to tear the other one down instead of building their own program up. Not that we haven't seen the same from Mississippi State before. It's just been two decades ago, and yeah, that sniping at the other school, grabbing guys who had once signed with Ole Miss and went out to junior college, i.e. Arizona Western, it kind of contributed to the end of that regime in Starville. Lesson is, tend to your own program, but sometimes the rivals just can't do that. And you can tell there's some anxiety up that end of the road with the staff Arnett has put together, with guys Chad Bumpus, Will Friend, uh, of course, keeping Tony Hughes, retaining Jason Washington in a recruiting role, and now, of obviously, bringing back Brad Peterson. And you've still got your core Mississippi St- guys, Mississippi State people, Mississippi high school coaching legends and players themselves, and the support staff. Yeah, this is going to be a staff that really gets after it, and you can feel the heat going on up on the other end of the road between here and Oxford. All right, SEC football. Well, what do you say besides uh, it just means more? Yeah, well, I think it just really just means more that every indication we have is that the SEC will be changing to a nine-game schedule soon. The question now becomes when. 
you know, remember back in summer, then again back in fall. And I have to beg your excuse again because the, just a second, pardon me again. I think glad I brought this water bottle with me. We thought that last summer that the SEC would be making some kind of news about future football scheduling. Well, they delayed the decision through the uh, summer and through media days. There was some thought there might be at least some indications around the SEC championship game. There wasn't, other than Greg Sankey, commissioner of the conference, said that early in 2023 they would announce the 2024 schedule and the scheduling plan to go with it. Now, it hasn't happened yet, and we're almost a month into 2023, so it's coming soon. Will And I think they're now going to do it ahead of the spring meetings in May. What's going to happen? Out of curiosity, I started looking at the Big 12 and their future scheduling. Well, they don't have one. They haven't even announced their 2023 schedule yet, by the way. They were supposed to have done that this past December as well. And here a month later, they don't even have their slate for this coming fall, which amps up all the uncertainty about when exactly will Texas and Oklahoma be leaving the Big 12. Now, they're playing there this fall. That is for certain. But what about 2024? Is there a chance they join then? We had been leaning that way. We, I'm using the royal we. I had been leaning that way. I thought that because the playoff expansion also takes place in 2024 now, that was announced late last fall, that it would expedite things. Plus, you just get the sense that the folk in the Big 12 who are staying and still have to integrate their four new teams in the next few years as well, they're just almost ready to say, okay, y'all get out of here. We're tired of dealing with you. We're not going to demand the full buyout and the penalty, which was one of the big selling points two years ago. Said, oh, yeah, go leave, leave early, but you have to pay us so much more money. And Texas, Oklahoma balked at that. Well, the SEC wasn't ready to bring them in anyway and revamp the schedule. Now it's getting close. Do I think now that it will still happen in 2024? I, I do lean that way. Now, it's, it's got to happen by June 1, 2025. That's the deadline for sure that Greg Sankey has announced repeatedly. But he also adds that's not a hard and fast final. says it will happen by then, but that also means it can happen before then. By the way, another thing, too. It's interesting that Texas and Oklahoma are already booked to play in 2024 regardless, and that would have been a Big 12 conference game. And that would be in Dallas as usual. However, Texas had a game with Michigan in 2024. Oklahoma was to play the Wolverines the next two years. Texas was supposed to play Ohio State in 2025. Why do I bring those up along with Oklahoma games against Nebraska and Clemson? I bring those up because when they come into the SEC and the SEC goes to a 3-6 schedule, which is what all expect at this point, that means those schools would probably, I repeat, probably keep those high-profile matchups. It would meet the existing demand for a Power 5 game on the slate outside the conference. That is the sticking point for Mississippi State and about half the conference right now based on talks we had with an SEC official in Tampa back during the bowl game. It is... The consensus is that whereas State and many other schools wanted to stay with a eight-game schedule, they can see the inevitable. It's going to go to nine because TV simply demands it. But a nine-game schedule would come with the loss of the mandate game if 
state and other schools had their way. Some of the power teams, and yes, I use it freely and admit it, they're more powerful teams, obviously. They want to keep that game, or maybe are willing to keep that game is a better way to put it, because they can sell it as one of those August uh, Memorial Day weekends, or Labor Day, I'm sorry, Labor Day weekend games where they play on neutral sites or home-and-home years. Mississippi State wants to keep scheduling at least three non-conference games per year besides a band-aid game. But you add a conference game, all of a sudden you have to knock one of them out if you keep the mandate game. And that obviously impacts on state's potential being bowl eligible this year. Don't go calling this poor old state syndrome. That is the absolute hard fact. Every MSU administrator I've talked to, former and current, have not a chance, to, obviously, to talk to the new athletic director, Zach Selman, about it. And his interesting standpoint will be coming from Oklahoma, where they play a nine-game conference schedule already, but then their big rivals are already within their league. Well, I want to see what he thinks about it, but I'm giving the guy a fair chance to get immersed in it because he's coming in cold to all this deal with the SEC and certainly Mississippi State situation. Point being, Mississippi State wants, if there's a three-game three game permanent, six-game rotating, they want to keep as many non-conference games, i.e. to stay bowl eligible as often as possible. And State, by the way, has budgeted for bowl monies in the future to help pay off the 2014 expansion of Davis Wade Stadium. That's 20-year bonding, and that money's got to come from somewhere. You see how complicated this is getting and why the interest now in when will that schedule be announced just keeps amping up. The reason I get into this is because I wrote a piece this week about Mississippi State announcing prices for season tickets this uh, coming season. Um, You can check it out on Gene's page as well. You should, if you're a season ticket holder, already gotten your notification. If you haven't been a holder before, uh, call the ticket office or check online to get in on it because this is an eight-game schedule, which has never been done at Mississippi State before. Yeah, it's pricey. That's that's the, (laughs) no pun intended, price of having to play eight home games. But I'm sure there will be some packages done later in the year, not discouraging from getting the full ducat because it's the good schedule. LSU, Alabama, Ole Miss all in the home field. You've got Arizona coming in as your non-conference game. It's just a good schedule. And to boot, Southern Mississippi is here. Only the second time in history that Mississippi State has played Southern Miss and Ole Miss on consecutive weekends. Well, of course, the Egg Bowl game's on Thursday, but you get the idea. And the last one was 1947. No, I wasn't there, wise guys. But this is another piece of history. I raised that because I got to thinking. If the SEC does indeed go to the nine-game schedule, keep the Power 5 mandate, and you only have two non-conference games, what happens to the 2025 game when Mississippi State is supposed to play at Southern Miss? There's more than a few state fans who are not happy about having to make a trip back to Hattiesburg. Now, I don't mind going to Hattiesburg regularly myself, not as long as Robert St. John's got some of his great restaurants open down there, and it ain't too far from my free state roots anyway. But as far as playing a football game in Hattiesburg, nope, not something Mississippi State should ever do. We've done it, and that's the price of getting some of these in-state deals. But now with conference expansion coming, with conference schedule expansion also coming, and the lesser chances to play non-conference games, that could be on the chopping block. 
and I have checked with the administration about this, they don't. They would have to call out the exact contracting for all these games. But in most cases, they state there are clauses built into it that if conference expansion or conference scheduling demands interrupt a previously contracted non-conference game, then no penalty would be paid by Mississippi State. So that is off the table. If that game gets scratched, or any other game, whether it's Louisiana Tech, Tulane, you name it, Mississippi State would probably not be on the financial hook for losing that game because it would have been forced upon them by the Southeastern Conference, not by their own decision. That's what sent me down this scheduling trail. And frankly, football scheduling is fun. It's an entertaining topic, something that can always look into, but now very much in play. So much of it fueled by this next round of conference shuffling. Of course, the SEC picking up two teams. For now, who knows if they're going to stay at 16. The Big Ten, increasingly misnamed with the pending additions of those two California clubs. The Big 12, which the, is there going to be 10, then they're going to add four. Even my redneck math says that don't come out to 12. You see where I'm going with this. All of this happening ahead of the college playoff expansion in 2024 to 12 teams with the exact format still to be set. There's more news stories coming soon because that's got to be nailed down along with the contracts for who's going to host particular rounds and what cities, how it will be tied to the bowl system with the Rose Bowl yielding on their traditional stance. And by the way, I'll interject. I'm a traditionalist and a sentimentalist. I know a lot of fans are really, you know, gripey about the Rose Bowl getting a special exemption, but I think that's part of what made college football such an interesting sport, that you had these traditions that were odd, awkward, sometimes even uncomfortable. Say, Alabama, Tennessee, the third Saturday of October, kind of locking down that piece of the schedule, not allowing much change. I actually like it, but then again, I'm a traditionalist. Who cares? Tradition is heading out the window in so many aspects about college football. What's not heading out the window is, uh, let's see, I don't know where I was going with that metaphor. Maybe I should start over. This head cold really buggering with my mind at this point. Okay, looking out my window right now here in my Startwell office, nice and shiny, kind of cold. However, it looks like baseball weather. Well, guess what? Friday afternoon, 1 o'clock, Media Day with Bulldog Baseball. Uh, our staff here with Gene's Page will be meeting with Coach Chris Lamonis, and I believe four players have been selected to speak. Mike Nemeth will have a full report, uh, Q&A, with Coach Lamonis, and we'll talk to the various players and have some material to go in coming days as well. Steve Robertson's back in town also from his trip out west. I believe he survived being in snow country for a while and his first uh, snow skiing adventures. I, even though I've never skied, I did send him the dice. Remember this, gravity always wins. Well, I think Steve comes out a winner on this one, so good to have him back in town and ready to roll into baseball season, which is barely three weekends away. Holy moly, 2023 is off to a flying start in every sort of way right now. It just seems like, you know, last week I got back from the bowl game in Tampa, and now here we are getting ready for our first baseball practice observations and neck deep into SC basketball, and obviously football, football recruiting, staff finalized. I, I, I know I keep harking about this staff and the recruiting impact, 
because we won't know about the coaching until we watch them in spring. But goodness, this is going to be an impressive coaching staff for a first-year head coach. That's always one of the questions when you hire a guy, and especially when you promote a guy who's never been a head coach before, what kind of staff will he can assemble? By any objective measure, Zach Arnett has scored his second win. His first one was the bowl game, where now he is 1-0. And, by a rather interesting irony, he has brought back Greg Knox from that 2017 Dan Mullen staff, who also holds the record of being 1-0 in bowl games. As, but he did it as a true interim coach, where at least Zach was, by that time, full promoted head coach. Either way, both first-timers, both getting their first head coaching chance in a bowl game, both 1-0. and That's a rather nice piece of symmetry to have on this staff as well. Just the kind of thing that keeps you thinking Bulldog football at this point of the year. Uh, like I said, next Wednesday, finalize the second round of signings, see what's going on with the portal. I really expect by tomorrow to know for sure what's happening with Dylan Johnson. But then again, we said the same thing last Friday, and he's keeping us waiting. I know I don't hold it against the young man. With a family to take care of, he's got some big decisions. And I think this is more a reflection on what the NCAA has made possible by having this free transfer for one year. Sounds good in principle. In practice, yeah, it's helped quite a few players. But there are the casualties and there are the concerns and the programs left waiting. Maybe someday they'll be able to come back to their senses and institute an automatic one-year sit-out wherever you go. No, that's foolish of me to even suggest it. That, not only has that door been opened from the barn, it's been blown off the hinges by the courts. It's going to stay as it is. It may, in fact, only get worse with more free transfers across. How do you put together a roster in these portal days? Well, that's something I'd certainly like to talk with Coach Arnett with. But then again, he's still learning too. So it's not fair to ask him any hard and fast questions about those because there's just so much he's got to figure out as well dealing with this, as do all his peers. Even guys who've been coaching 30 years are coming to grips now with this free transfer system. Maybe eventually it will become what we once thought it'd be, the bigs picking up on the littles. But for right now, it's bigs taking from bigs. And so far, you've got to say, Mississippi State has come up big in the transfer portal this year already. And we'll see. By the way, speaking of the portal, you know who's going to be rating the portal hard, hard in the next few months. Chris Jans. He's got to really plug in some new personnel fast on the basketball team. I know we began with basketball. Let's finish up with them. I don't want it to sound like anybody should feel sorry for Jans because he knew what he walked to to a large extent. The full dimensions are now being realized with the lack of offense on this team and a team that, again, just needs something to go right so they can start thinking things will go right. But the guy's a good coach, and the biggest credit to me so far is he's keeping them playing hard despite their frustrations. If they continue to play the rest of the season with the same effort they have, win or lose, these past several weeks, then you know this program's in the right hands. Because the hardest thing to do is to keep a team that's struggling playing with effort, intensity, and focus. He's done that so far. Let's keep an eye on them, how they do it in coming weeks. And your next chance is 3 o'clock Saturday afternoon when the Bulldogs take on TCU and Humphrey Coliseum. And oh, by the way, be remiss, Lady Bulldogs tonight playing in Oxford, get their shot. This would be a really big chance for Sam Purcell to pick up a win 
and just you know gets first even off the series for this season. The Rebels will be favored in their home court, of course, but the, I liked how they played hard against Kentucky this past week. They beat a team they should have beaten. They did it the hard way, but they still won the game. That's another team that's figuring itself out, but bringing back Anastasia Hayes and getting Jessica Carter up to speed offensively, that was a fun game to watch them beat Kentucky this past weekend. Wow, so much going on. Baseball about to roar into full speed. And we'll have a lot to talk about in future editions of the Doghouse here on the Believe Podcast Network with help from our sponsor, Bet Online, where the game starts. I'm your host, David Murray. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.